0: 37th Parallel, on America's Haunted Highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.
1: Well, what's up everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Pixelated Paranormal. I'm your host, Sean. I'm finally almost over this chest crud that i have and i also have a necronomicon and with me as always is preston buddy how are you
0: what's up all you uh, cool ghosts and goblins you croc and crocodingos you skeletors and skeletons you witchers and witches and whatever the fuck else you want to be my name is preston and uh today i'm here to either uh, sell you some cocaine or talk to you about uh conspiracies with <laughs> my uh, right. brand new autumn gold tinted lenses so i'm ready to party look at you
1: hello mr fancy pants yeah. <laughs> yeah i like them man they look good on you you look like you're about to go bowling with um some conspiracy theorists
0: <laughs> yeah what's bad is like when i wear them at work and i come out and like somebody's like dude what the the fuck and i'm just like hey i'm mm-hmm. here about to talk to you about glasses um, <laughs> right. you, want something, yeah. you want something like this uh because uh, they can help you see They can help you see. I'm not just a manager; I'm a member. (laughs) Rainbows, unicorns, uh, you know the third dimension. I don't know. When you put these babies on, it's a trip. I'm here to tell you,
1: (laughs) right? Oh, I like it, man. You look good. You look good. Well, I got to apologize to the live viewers. Um, I may have to cough a few times. I'm I'm getting over the nasty jam. Um, I've been suffering from this crap for like a week, and uh, luckily, it's almost gone. But yeah, it might be a couple times I got to haka. little bit out of my lungs but uh yeah maybe i don't know hopefully not that bad but yeah again the perks of watching live tv well quite suiting to tonight's topic man i want to share a photo if you could slap that bad boy up on the youtube for everyone to see shayla bought us our first piece of taxidermy and it's you guessed it an asquatch. uh
0: i have no idea what the i mean it's so fucking weird man But I love it. I mean, it's a face only a mother could love,
1: right? Yeah, that's it. So there's a guy in Oklahoma who does taxidermy, and he does it specifically on the rear ends of dead deer. Because, again, you know, no piece gone to waste. And so they take the ass end of a deer, they cut it off, they flip it upside down, and the tail, which normally goes upwards, hangs down like a little beard, And then they just kind of retool the skin and they build, you know, the mound of a nose and eye sockets and a mouth, throw in some really derpy teeth. And we folks are the proud owners of an Asquatch. And we've named him appropriately Queequeg.
0: Oh, just like Scully's dog off of (laughs) X-Files. Yeah. Yes,
1: both named after the uh, character, of course, from Moby Dick. yeah it's super awesome it hangs up in our living room we're super stoked and it's a fun game we play now trying to keep our stupid cat Sully from trying to climb the wall to grab the tail that dangles down so there's that bit Mm. but yeah I'll find out the information for this guy and share it on the Facebook and the Instagram because if other people want to own an Asquatch as well um, it's pretty fucking cool they make a lot of really neat ones and you know All the way from like vampires to all sorts of, you know, other kind of cool little beasties. But Shayla specifically requested one that had derpy teeth. So I think this guy really nailed it. I really do.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, I I got a little bit of a little bit of space on the wall in the studio. Um, So I think I think I should get one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking you probably ought to. You probably ought to. Yeah. We've talked about them before on uh, the episodes, you know, years ago. But, yeah, I'm super stoked, man. I'm very happy she got it. It was a fun little surprise. But Well, the watch will kind of lead into our main topic of tonight's story. But first of all, Presto, you got a couple news stories, and I got one I'm going to throw in there as well. So yeah. why don't you lead the way, pal? We'll get after
0: I man. I got I to thank the wife for this because she usually... Tags me in uh, news articles on Facebook, and I normally don't pay attention to them. So the mm-hmm. first one mm-hmm. is completely unrated, unrelated to tonight's topic. I think the second one will tie in very well. So, cool. At least I'm hoping. Well, how about you go one, I'll go mine, and then you finish with
1: your last one. How's that sound?
0: Sounds good. So up first, Clean. Sean. Uh, I you probably didn't know, but after death. You're aware that you've died, scientists say. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep, your subjective experience might not end the moment your heart stops. research on near-death experiences suggests. The time of death is considered when a person has gone into cardiac arrest, which is the sensation of the electrical impulses that drives the heartbeat. As a result, Mm -hmm. the heart locks up. And uh, at this moment, when the heart stops, is considered by medical professionals to be the clearest indication when someone has died. When the old ticker-talking is not ticking-talking. But what (laughs) happens inside the old pink matter? Does death immediately overtake our subjective experience, or does it slowly creep in? I'm imagining where this article is going is like having sleep, mm-hmm. sleep paralysis for, like, I don't know, a very long time. Oh, Yeah, scientists yeah, yeah, yeah. have uh, studied near-death experiences, also known as NDEs, as an attempt to gain insight on how death overcomes the brain. What they found? Remarkable. A surge of electricity <laughs> enters the brain moments before brain death. One 2013 study, which examined electrical signals inside the head... Of rats, not human beings, but whatever, found that rodents yeah, entered a yeah. hyper alert state just before death. Some scientists are beginning to think that NDEs are caused by a reduced blood flow coupled with abnormal electrical behavior inside the brain. So the serial typical tunnel of white light may derive from a surge of neural activity. Dr. Sam Perina, the director of critical care and resurrection research at NYU. Langdon School of Medicine in New York City, he and his colleagues have investigated exactly how the brain dies. And if uh, you didn't do it like that movie with uh, Kevin Bacon and, uh, what was it, uh, Flatliners? I don't give a shit. Your research is bunk, but whatever. Oh,
1: yeah, it's Flatliners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't
0: seen it, but I really want to. In uh, previous work, Dr. Perina has conducted animal studies looking at the moments before and after death. He also investigated near-death experiences, and many times those who have had such experience talk about floating around the room, being aware of the medical team working on their body. They describe watching doctors and nurses working, and they describe having awareness of, and, of full conversations and visual things that were going on that would otherwise not be known to them. The medical staff confirms this, he said, but how can people who are technically dead be cognate of what's happening around them? Even after our breathing and heartbeat has stopped, we remain conscious for 2 to 20 seconds. That's how long the cerebral cortex is thought to last without oxygen. This is the thinking and decision-making part of the brain. It is also responsible. So this is not that bad. If I'm only, like, mm-hmm, fucking mm. alive after my heart stops, like, I'm dead, and then I'm dead. And then I'm just like, whatever happens, happens. That's not that bad. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, according to the doc, you lose all your brainstem reflexes, your gag reflex, your pupil reflex. Yeah, all that's gone. It's shit. Yeah, you shit the bed and lose all your mucous membrane control. Yeah, and then brain waves from the cerebral cortex soon become undetectable. Even so, it can take... oh shit, no, it got worse. Now it can take hours for our thinking organ to fully shut down. Ooh, that's bad. <laughs> Usually, when the heart, heart stops beating, someone performs CPR. This will provide about 15% of the oxygen needed to perform normal brain functions. If you manage to restart the heart, which is what CPR attempts to do, or uh, back in the olden days, you just blow some s- smoke up someone's ass, either way, you know, oh, you get wow. the, the ticker going again. Uh, the longer you're doing CPR, those brain cells' death pathways uh, are still happening. They're just happening at a slightly slower rate. Other researchers uh-huh. from Dr. Parna and his co- colleagues examined the large number of Europeans and Americans who have survived cardiac arrest. In the same way, the groups of researchers uh-huh. might be studying the quantum nature of the human experience of love. We're trying to understand it, goddammit. So it's like trying to understand women. It's probably never going to happen, but we're going to give it a go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One of the objectives is to observe how the brain acts and reacts during cardiac arrest. How much oxygen does it actually take to reboot the brain? How is the brain affected after revival? Learning all the line, where all the lines are drawn might improve resurrection techniques, which could save countless lives per year. And at the same time, we also study the human mind and consciousness in the context of death to understand whether consciousness becomes annihilated or whether it continues after you died for some period of time and how all that relates to what's happening inside of the brain in real time. Yeah, there you go. Holy shit, man. Holy shit. Wow. It's
1: impressive to me, like, just how many studies we've done on the topic of death and just studying, you know, what happens after we die. And they've already said that, Through science already developed up through like the early 2000s, we're already going to see probably at the end of our lifetime, the potential for human expectancy of life to reach 130 years. So like we're potentially going to add about 40, maybe 50 years onto the life expectancy of humans. But beyond all that, the question is do you want to live till you're 130? Like,
0: <laughs> once you hit around like 90, man, if I could live to be 130 but walk and look like I'm 40, I'd be okay with it. Yeah. But if all yeah, you're yeah. doing is keeping me alive in my crippled, old, decrepit body and life hurts every day, like, mm. fuck that, dude. End it now.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're talking about mobility issues and stuff
0: like that. So, let daddy move on to the pearly gates. Right. <laughs>
1: Well, I got a bonus news story, dude, that I forgot all about. So let me share this one real quick with you. Lay it on me. Scientists have created baby mice with the cells from two male parents for the first time in history. This is from AP News. For the first time, scientists have created baby mice from two male parents. Now, slow down for a second. We're not talking about hot, you know, mouse-on-mouse action, two, two dude mice going at it having babies. It's a little bit different than that, but this is interesting nonetheless. This raises the distant possibility of using the same technique for people Although experts caution that very few mouse embryos developed into live mice pups, and no one really knows if it would work for humans, it's very interesting nonetheless. It's a very clever strategy where they've taken stem cells and then used that to help reproduce baby mice embryo. It's an important step in both stem cell and reproductive biology. First, they took skin cells from the tails of male mice and transformed them into induced pluripotent stem cells Uh, big words i don't know what all that means but basically stem cells those then can develop into many different types of cells or tissues so through a process that involves growing them and treating them with a drug they converted the male mouse skin stem cells into female cells and produced functional egg cells finally they fertilized those egg cells and implant them into a implant the embryos into a female mice And then seven out of 670 experiments then grew into live mouse pups. Now, that's only about 1% of those that were planted that actually became living mice. But this is fucking bonkers, man. You know, the the headline kind of makes you think they basically took two dude mice and they had babies. It's not quite how it goes. But beyond all the morals of like playing God and stuff like that, it kind of opens up a lot of opportunity for possibly saving a lot of extinct species of animals that we may only have like one, um, you know, specimen left, or maybe like a handful that couldn't necessarily breed. So now theoretically you could take the cells of like a male animal that's way too old to breed and then do the same exact deal. And we could start saving tons and tons of extinct species or uh, species that are, you know, on the edge of extinction.
0: Your dick don't work.
1: Science got your covered, dog. Yeah, just scrape a little bit of butt meat off and roll it up into a ball. Squirt some, you know, magic medicine on it, and then boom, shock a lock. You got, you got embryos, man. Wow. So, of course, the main question comes up is why the fuck are we still experimenting on animals? Um, I don't necessarily support, you know, a lot of that, but at the same time. <sighs> how how do you go farther you know into the future without experimenting on animals um I don't know any humans that are really kind of you know up for this because God only knows. You've watched The Fly with Jeff
0: Goldblum. Yeah, sometimes you got to crack a few eggs to make some omelets. You, you know, I mean, I'm not <laughs> yeah. going to mention a certain time period in history, but uh, we made some progress in science just by experimenting on human beings, and there were no laws or rules and regulations. Yeah. And I think the fact is that uh, there's so many laws of rules and regulations now, we have to experiment on. Uh, you know, little baby mice and monkeys and dogs and shit. If you know, the thing is, if we just corrected history instead of just forcefully doing shit on people, be like, look, Jerry, we have like this uh, new DNA program. I don't know what's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. You might grow like a third arm out of your head. You might grow an extra eyeball in your ass. I, I don't know. The thing is, it's called science, <laughs> baby. But here's the thing, Jerry. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna pay you fifteen thousand dollars. Fifteen you know some benjamins we're gonna lay them on the table for you buddy and we're gonna let the dice roll how does that sound and then if jerry's like dude fuck yeah i need i need to pay off my college loan i'll fucking grow a third (laughs) arm out of my forehead i don't get i think we're we're leveling the playing field fair is fair yeah fair is fair yeah exactly exactly
1: i can only imagine how many experiments we are doing on humans right you know put the tinfoil hat on real quick just because we're saying, you know, in AP News and CNN that we're
0: not doing it on humans, we've done it in the past, which is kind of what you alluded to. So I don't know. So we're we're not we're not currently doing it in the United States and most of the civilized Western world. Um, there is one that we know of. There is one country that is currently gobbling up all geneticists, and they are paying them to uh-huh. do experiments, and. Um, I don't know. Maybe like three years ago, a baby was born um, AIDS-free to a positive AIDS mom and dad um, because of uh, dad. you know genetic work, and the government of said country was like, "Fuck it, good science, way to go." Here's a, here's a couple. You know, million yen, go spend it on whatever. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Also, by yeah, the way, exactly. we need you to make
0: us the tallest, best basketball players for the Olympics, because uh, uh, we're going for gold, baby. Oh, uh, yeah.
1: Uh, Jeremy in the chat mentioned Unit 731, which, of course, was, um, gosh, was that Japanese? Was that a Japanese um, program. They did a bunch of like biological experiments and chemical, you know, experiments and stuff like that. That's just a whole other topic. And Jeremy, thanks for mentioning that. Um, I'll bookmark that right now because that's going to be really worth looking into. And of course, I mean, by all means, we don't support anything, you know, that has any relation to Nazis, but I mean, there was a lot of interesting things that came out of that time period and, you know, It's rumored that the Americans were doing the same kind of shit. Like, we were doing some really, really skeezy stuff.
0: But, again, you know. um, Operation Paperclip. That's what that was called. We'll just fucking. Yeah, 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 yeah. We we won't hang you for your fucking war crimes, but uh, do that shit for us right, exactly. That's what I was alluding to. Yeah,
1: the winners write the history and we certainly scooped up a lot of Nazi scientists and did a lot of you know wacky shit on our own. but um, I definitely thought about kind of diving into some of the you know human experiments of the past because I think it's fascinating. We talked about Dr. Um, oh, was it Robert White who was wanting to do the monkey head transplant onto a human. And just have a bunch of like human bodies with fucking gorilla heads to make the, you know, these ultimate warriors and stuff like that. And he successfully transferred the head from a transplanted the head from one monkey to another. And it actually did reanimate and had a little bit of consciousness before it suddenly died, yeah. which I think, you know, and
0: eh, did then it, uh, did it really. And then, you know, the late 1800s, early 1900s, there was that doctor that was putting monkey testicles in dudes. I mean, if you couldn't get your dick up. We didn't have Viagra at the time, but let me tell you <laughs> what. Let me sew in some goat and monkey testicles in there, and, dude, you'll be fucking rock hard.
1: <sighs>
0: Man, yeah, I. that was an early
1: episode. We talked about that. That was fantastic. Sometimes yeah. I want to go back through and listen to our own catalog. Is that weird? Is that kind of like, you know, getting high on your own supply? Yeah. <laughs> well, let me roll into my second one real quick because it's very pertinent. In Amsterdam, back on March 28th, A giant meatball was made from the flesh cultivated from the DNA of an extinct woolly mammoth and was unveiled at Nemo, a science museum in the Netherlands. The meatball was created by Australian cultured meat company VAL, which promises this is not an April Fool's joke, and said it wanted to get people talking about cultured meat, calling it a more sustainable alternative From real meat and again you know i ate some of those crickets i still got about a half a test tube so you know uh, alternative protein sources is something that i really think is pretty rad and very interested in well they said we wanted to create something that was totally different from anything you can get now adding that an additional reason for choosing mammoth is that scientists believe the animal's extinction was caused by climate change huh yeah you know hot button topic the meatball was made of sheep cells inserted into a single mammoth gene called myoglo- myoglobin. When it comes to meat, myoglobin is responsible for the aroma, the color, and the taste. Since the mammoth's DNA sequence obtained by Vow has a few gaps, African elephant DNA was inserted to complete it. Much like they do in the movie Jurassic Park. Wow, fucking Wow. Uh, while creating cultured meat usually means using blood of a dead calf, Val used an alternative, meaning no animals were killed in making of the mammoth meatball. The meatball, which has the aroma of crocodile meat. This fucking thing is like the Heinz 57. It's the mutt of meatballs. <laughs> it's mammoth, but it's made with sheep. Yeah, get,
0: the, get the fuck out of here. You, yeah. You can't fucking tell me, like, first of all, preserved mammoth bodies Right, when you go out into the Arctic tundra, dude, you can just fucking dig down to the permafrost, find a perfectly preserved 10,000-year-old freezer-dried piece of mammoth. Hopefully it didn't die mm. of anthrax, but, I mean, whatever. Roll the dice, fucking cook it up, eat it. Don't fucking hand me some fake-ass lab-grown meatball that you had to, like, jimmy in some crocodile and fucking <laughs> I know, elephant. I know. That's what you know, me, dude. You know, let's put a little fucking fish in there. We don't even know. I mean, it it could have tasted like mammoth. We're just guessing. But it's a a mystery meatball, really. Put in some faux call today. It's fine.
1: This is the meatball you get out of a box that says free meatballs in a parking lot of some kind of like superstore. Like you did a puppy back when I was little. Yeah. Fucking bonkers. Well, they said the protein is literally 4,000 years old. We haven't seen it in a very long time, which means we need to put it through rigorous tests, something that we do with any product we normally bring to the market. Val hopes to put cultured meat on the map in European unions, a market where meat is not a food that is regulated. I mean, do I gotta say it, dude? If you're making this Heinz 57 of, you know, sheep and elephant and all that kind of stuff... Someone's already thought about you know schlepping off a couple cheek cells and tossing it in there for good luck, and now
0: we've got you know manufactured man meat. I mean, yeah, we already talked about in an earlier episode, James Franco salami. Yeah. Um, I was going to say James Franco pepperoni. salami. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's look, not even a euphemism, folks. Yeah, I, I want. I, I mean, I'm a connoisseur of rare meats. Like you know, slap down mm-hmm. some bear. Give me some shark. I'll eat anything. Oh, I like shark. But mm-hmm. don't fucking sell me woolly mammoth that tastes like a crocodile. When we goddamn well know there was no woolly mammoth mm-hmm. in the history of woolly mammoth that tasted like a crocodile. They tasted like a goddamn buttery elephant, and that's what I expect in my mouth. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, that's the old adage, too. Everything tastes like chicken. They probably compare this to crocodile because they've never cooked a mammoth meatball before. So, for all we know, mammoth and crocodile taste the same. But that's the closest thing they could find to describing how it smells. But
0: crocodile tastes like chicken. Or does chicken taste like crocodile? Well, I mean, Maybe that could mammoth be. tastes like chicken, too. I've heard <laughs> rattler tastes like chicken, too. So, if you fry up some old... You I've had know, snake, r- yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, it's funny to me that everyone's like, everything tastes like chicken. Well, it's all like meat protein, depending where it came from. You've got some kind of gaminess to it. But yeah, it's not surprising that a lot of things like small animals taste the same to a degree. I mean, rabbit tastes like rabbit, tastes nothing like chicken. But yeah, I think in the grand scheme of things, you only taste like so many things. Yeah. What I think is interesting, though, is if we talk about the idea of doing experiments on rats or, or mice in this case, you know, and, you know, what is the um, morale behind that? And is it OK to do? What about doing these, you know, food experiments with extinct or dead animal cells? Like, where's the, uh, you know, moral compass in that? Are we doing something that's like really, really fucking perverted? Or what do you think personally, man? Do You think like, yeah, fuck it. They're dead. It's extinct. It's been frozen for 40,000 years or 4,000 years. Is there
0: anything wrong with doing that? No. I don't think so either. I'm all for, like, you know, we talked about how they're they're talking about bringing back the woolly mammoth, but we don't understand (laughs) the climate because we think because we found all the bodies, like, in the frozen tundra, that these were something that survived in cold weather when actually when you look at their stomachs and everything, you see that they were kind of mm-hmm. like tropical elephants, you know. They woolly mammoths yeah. would be would be great in Kansas. They they like the winter. They bitch about the summer. <laughs> Springs pretty good. Fuck yeah fall. Let me let me go eat yeah, all these bushes yeah. over here. Uh-huh. So, the fact that we want to bring them back and they're just like fucking throw them in the you know, the Russian tundra. They'll be fine. Like, no, you're going to kill them. I am okay like Let's bring back these extinct animals, get a breeding population, and bada bing, bada boom. Daddy can go have himself a fucking woolly mammoth hamburger. I want some dire stag steak. Uh, you know what? Yeah, like yeah. nature already ran its course. You guys fucking failed on the, you know, survival yep. of the fittest. It's fair game, baby. Uh, let's eat it. So. Yep, we're bringing back the woolly mammoth like the fucking Nick Rib, dude.
1: Yeah, the, the dodo?
0: <laughs> Fuck yeah, dodo nuggets. I'm all over it. You know, go get me a dodo McChicken right now.
1: Yeah, do a Hot Ones wing challenge with some dodo bird. Yeah, just yeah. fucking do it, dude. Fucking spicy
0: ranch McDodo. Yeah, maybe things aren't so bad after all. Put some, slap some cheese on it. <laughs> Fuck yeah, man. Uh, can I get a buffalo
1: dodo burger, please?
0: <laughs> well, hit me with your last news story there, bud. I probably should have read this prior to the show. Now that I actually read it, I'm like, Mm-mm. dude, this has fucking nothing. I mean, kind of. I think I can <laughs> I can spin this. So
1: What happened? Hang on. What happened? Years ago, we would fucking research for like a week and read everything and blah blah blah. And I think life's just been so busy lately. There's times when it's like, oh fuck, we got to record in an hour. Uh, you got anything? Like we're still doing that for the last couple of years. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I've actually written four fifths of next week's episode already. So I'm making the vow now that I might just read this shit like, you know, sooner rather than later.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I think I've gotten too comfortable, you know. (laughs) Yeah, we both have. I'm just, I feel like I'm already, you know, I'm like a Joe Rogan. I mean, I'm going to say it. Come on, Joe. Oh. Yeah. Does he wear that many rings? I don't know, but anyways, I feel so comfortable <laughs> in my podcasting seat now that I'm just like uh-huh. I don't okay. I don't need to I don't need to research ahead like I can knock this off the cuff. Anyways, so the the the, the wife tagged me in this article and it was like uh, I got to say too Shayla tagged me in that meatball article, so you know, hats off to our wives. Yeah. See, they're looking out for us. So, here's yeah. here's the here's the logic. Here's how my brain connected 2 and 2 and got 8. So, uh-huh we're talking about the great elk abduction of 1999 right and so mm-hmm, i get mm-hmm. this article that's 2000 mummified ram heads left in honor of egypt's most powerful pharaoh so ancient egypt ancient aliens um you know they were astronauts and so maybe like you know they the 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 elk of 1999 like the aliens came down and like you know we got Pharaoh Mahut and Tut and Tut on planet Sirius B, and uh, we need to honor him, so let's Uh go down to Earth and get all the elk. So, see, I was trying to connect the dots, and I I failed. You tried. That's all we ever ask is that you just try. Yeah, anyways, so here's a fucking history uh, article for all you nerds out there. (laughs) 2,000 mummified ram heads were left in honor of Egypt's most powerful Pharaoh and are found inside ancient temples. That's right. More than 2,000 mummified ram heads and a... Uh, palatal old kingdom structure have been uncovered by archaeologists at the King Ramses Temple in Abydos. The find located uh-huh. roughly 270 miles south of Cairo comes from a period over a 1,000 years from the 6th dynasty of the uh, Herrick Age, making the discovery some 4,300 years old. In addition to the ancient Rams head, archaeologists from the U- University of New York also discovered a group of mummified dogs, wild goats, cows, deers, in one fucking lone ostrich. The mummified remains are believed to have been <laughs> left at the site to honor Ramses II, about a thousand years uh-huh. after his death. I mean, they were a day late and a dollar short, but hey, I mean, let's go <laughs> ahead and help the guy out a thousand years later. It was thought that the rams and other animals would have been used as offerings during worship of the rams in Abydos during the Bipetus period, Uh, Mm -hmm. In addition to the wealth of animal remains, archaeological teams have uncovered a huge building with walls roughly five meters thick from the old kingdom. The structure contained a number of statues, tree remains, leather shoes, clothing, and papyri. The discovery could help reestablish the sense of ancient landscapes before the construction of the Ramses second temple. That's
1: it. That's all I got. I'm done. It beats those fucking like five cow heads that were found severed in the dumpster. I talked about the other day. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's that's pertinent. You know, we love mummies on the show. So thanks, Mm -hmm. Jeffrey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tonight's episode's pretty interesting. And I want you guys to think of the main story, um, even though it's pretty bizarre. I want you to think of it not just as a standalone story, but also as an appetizer for the next show, too, because it's actually going to be related in kind of a weird way. Tonight's story, Preston, you already mentioned earlier, is the Great Elk Abduction of 1999. So the strange incident took place on February 25, 1999, near the forests and mountains of Washington State. Slightly before noon on a cloudy day on the 25th of February, 1999, in the upper northwest area of the United States, three Washington state forestry workers were planting seedling trees in the woodlands near Mount St. Helens. When out of nowhere, a saucer-shaped object came floating across the sky and into the view of the three workers. It would slowly and calmly enter the valley, coming from the north, just beyond the three forestry workers' position. They said the craft was flying slowly in a strangely calm manner, with which it seemed to have been looking for something. There appeared to be a purposeful nature of the movements, and it also was completely silent and cut through the air, making no noise at all. But strangely, the craft was making kind of a wobbling motion as it was flying through the valley. Now, After watching the weird, and wobbly craft for a minute or two, the three men called out to the rest of their crew, 11 more people in total, were up on a hill facing the opposite direction, watching a group of elk grazing on the nearby grounds. The eleven men turned around, and along with the initial three witnesses, all fourteen men watched the bizarre scenario unfold. It would become pretty obvious in the forestry crew that the bizarre craft was seemingly moving in the direction of the herd of elk. For their part, the elk, though, continued as normal, apparently unaware or maybe unconcerned with what was exactly approaching them from behind. Only when the metallic disc was almost on top of the herd did they seem to notice and then soon become agitated, aware of the strange craft. Then the already bizarre incident took an even stranger turn. Although no one seemed to see the exact circumstances that caused it, one of the elk quickly became isolated from the rest of the herd. It was then, according to witnesses, pretty obvious that the adult elk was being drawn away from the others. Whatever the reason, though, the object soon zeroed in. That's, that's called the tractor beam. <laughs> right, yeah. We'll get to the tractor beam. Don't you worry. Don't you worry at all, buddy. The members of the forestry work crew watched in disbelief as the object hovered directly over the top of the lone animal, and then suddenly the elk seemed to freeze in its tracks and slowly rose up into the air, almost as if two large invisible hands scooped it up and started lifting it up into the sky. The object started to get decisively more wobbly at this stage, but the elk, however, would remain firmly in the invisible grasp of the flying saucer. The object began to move upwards. Slightly, as it did so, the elk would then rotate, spinning underneath the craft, and it seemed to be getting closer and closer to the bottom of the disc. The object, still with the elk hovering below and moving in unison as if suspended by an invisible rope, would then head towards the east. But suddenly, however... The strange craft turned slightly and began to move westward. And as it did, the workers said the craft began to wobble more. And strangely, it looked like the elk might have been too heavy for the craft as it seemed to be struggling to keep its invisible grasp on the animal. Clumsily enough, they actually said that the craft moved over and the elk swung and hit a few trees like they just like bonk, bonk, bonk as they're
0: flying down the side of the forest. I mean, they're pretty fucking and heavy. Hayes so,
1: I mean, uh, yeah, they I prob- guess, yeah.
0: probably didn't have a calibrator like there, because normally they have duck cows, but <laughs> they're like, I don't know. Yeah, right, right. With, how, the, how much do you think this fucking thing weighs? I, I don't know, like 200 yeah. pounds. It's not as big as a cow, man. And all of a sudden they're like, whoops, we really fucked that one.
1: I mean, I bet you a nickel and some fuzzies that a cow weighs more than an elk. But, you know, I see what you're getting at. I was thinking maybe they were told to come down and pick up a deer. And they're like, hey, there's one of those big deers. And you no, know, an elk's, you know, at least two or three times the size of a deer. Well, strangely enough, anyway, the craft then did a full 360 and began to ascend higher into the air, increasing the speed as it moved up towards the sky. At this stage, the elk was no longer visible and as no one had seen it drop to the ground, it was assumed by the witnesses that the animal must have then been taken inside the craft itself. Witnesses would claim the rest of the elk remained tightly packed together as if for protection, and furthermore, whether they were conscious of it or not, they seemed to stay in the pack for the remainder of the day with the workers working nearby. Workers were perplexed, but also cautious to tell anybody what they just saw, because, you know, at the time, nobody wants to admit they saw a flying saucer, let alone one that abducted an elk. So, you know, mum's the word, and they kind of remained pretty tight-lipped. But then later on, on the 1st of March, about a week after, a report of the incident was somehow made to the National UFO Reporting Center, a.k.a. the N-U-F-O-R-C, or Newfork. They would go out to the location in question, and New Fork's director, Peter Davenport, would also contact the director of investigations for MUFON, a branch in the state of Washington, a gentleman named Robert Fairfax, who would also assist in the investigation. They'd speak to the three main witnesses, as well as the other 11 men, and then inspect the, the location for sightings themselves. Furthermore, they would also witness a corpse later of an adult and pregnant elk that was discovered along the roadside, several miles away by a separate group of forestry workers. Whether this was the same elk that was taken is uncertain. However, they think it's highly likely. Even stranger, though, is that there's no obvious injuries or wounds leading to find out
0: what the cause of death was for this elk in question. I don't know, a fucking fall from a great height? They fucking probably splattered it against the side of the road.
1: Yeah, well, it's funny you mentioned that, because that's what I would have thought, too. No, the deer was laying perfectly preserved, still on the ground. There's no signs of broken bones, no cuts, and there's no indentation where it fell down and, you know, like, Looney
0: Tunes itself into the ground. Was it missing its asshole? Because technically, when they abduct cows, they get rid of the asshole lips, you know? Right. Nope.
1: Nope, the asshole was intact. It had not been cored out. They said there were no signs of the typical mutilations that you'd find with a UFO. Perhaps even stranger, though, despite the other signs of dead animals mostly immediately being preyed upon after being found out into the open, especially in the woods, not a single animal had taken interest in the body, and they assumed it had been laying there for right around seven or eight days. So again, you hear that in a lot of these stories. If something was supposedly taken by a UFO, animals seem to kind of be deterred from getting anywhere near it. There's rarely ever even any maggots in some cases. So no, there was no predation, no animals had eaten it. The bunghole was intact, eyeballs, tongue, everything are still there, no laser cuts. Uh, the embryo was still inside the deer even later when they would do an inspection. Although the incident remains without full and satisfactory explanation, It remains one of the most intriguing encounters on record. For example, The Witnesses. Davenport would highlight how some of them had worked for the company in the area for almost 20 years. So it wasn't likely they would risk their job and pull some kind of stunt just for publicity. Kind of like, you know, the old uh, fire-in-the-sky abduction in Snowflake, Arizona. These dudes were serious. You know, they don't want to have any kind of, you know, weird publicity. But, you know, some people also said maybe they tried to kill the old boys. Who knows? Furthermore, though, in this story, it was at his stern belief the witnesses were sincere and believable. Although the corporation employing the workers wished to remain anonymous, they would vouch for each of the witnesses' credibility. Initially, the entire group was intent on keeping the incident between themselves only. However, when their supervisor saw them later the day after the sighting, it was almost obvious immediately something was wrong, and so ultimately he was able to pry just what it was they saw. Some would even go on to state that they had suffered bizarre and persistent nightmares in the following weeks after seeing the craft try to abduct the elk. Follow-up reports would suggest that many of the witnesses would develop an intent interest in UFOs following the incident. Many of the people who saw the craft also became extremely uncomfortable whenever they had to work anywhere near the location of the incident this would continue on for some time. Yeah, I'd probably be a little bit, um, you know, nervous to go near that site as well, because they took an elk last time, what if they fucking took Jerry, you know? Or even me, fuck. Yeah. So further extraordinary details would also come to the light in the weeks following the encounter, For example, one of the witnesses would claim it appears as though the craft was actually increasing in size shortly after capturing the elk, like some kind of like reverse TARDIS. (laughs) Another witness, however, would say that he thought that it was a trick of the light and the craft actually stayed the same size. But what's really intriguing, however, there are several reports of a strange light or flashes during this precise time by other people, including motorists. One UFO researcher questioned whether these lights and the apparent increase of size of the craft may actually have been plasma, which was witnessed around an orb-like sighting earlier. This would also suggest that the craft, as solid as it appeared, could have been more flexible. Perhaps even stranger, though, is the comments of one of the witnesses. He would claim that he couldn't seem to shake the notion the craft appeared to him like he was actually some kind of prehistoric animal. Perhaps it was also worth mentioning, if only in brief, another sighting in the mountain regions of Washington State that took place over about a year later in the summer of 2000. This account was broadcast on local radio and would claim several witnesses rang in to report a strange round green object floating in the skies near the mountain regions. Furthermore, both government and private radar has also said they picked up sightings of the same craft, although, after researching it, MUFON couldn't say that this is an official report. One witness, a driver with several passengers in his vehicle, would state how they had been forced down Goat Trail Road because of repairs that they had had to have done off the main highway. As they made their way along the road, however, they would witness a bright green object hovering in the sky. Every now and then it would move up or down and then come back to its original resting position. Then, without warning, It would take off with breakneck speed. Rather unbelievably though, even to the witness, despite him bringing the vehicle to a full stop for several moments, none of his passengers witnessed the bizarre aerial display. The witness would continue on with his journey, and he would eventually speak of the sighting to close friends and family, none of whom initially believed them. That was until the aforementioned report on the radio around a week or so later. However, following this, the witnesses didn't hear anything else about the sighting, nor did he manage to find any other witnesses that saw the same event. So whether or not there was a connection there to the elk abduction the previous year is not clear, but it's strange to say at the least there's some bizarre aerial activity going on in Washington State. So anyway, the encounter is one of the most bizarre and disturbing to happen. Whatever happened on the afternoon at Mount St. Helens, would certainly appear to be something significant enough to unsettle 14 grown men, some, again, who worked for that actual department for 20 years. And what about the state of the dead elk itself, presto? If we assume the carcass was roadside and was indeed the same as the one that was taken by the disc-shaped craft, the lack of injuries means the actual cause of death still remains a mystery. And also, why didn't any scavengers try to eat the dead animal? The lips, the eyes, the butthole were all still intact. So why didn't the aliens choose to mutilate it like so many cattle and other livestock found from these classic sightings? What do you think, Presto? What is
0: it? Man, they probably ran their, their, they fucking ran their alien radar over it and did some bleep bloop bloop scans. And they're like, this ain't no mm-hmm. fucking deer, Jerry. This is a fucking elk. And they're just mm-hmm. like, fuck that. Get rid of it. You know? You fucking idiot. You had yeah. one job. <laughs> yeah. Or, or maybe they, you know, maybe they were looking for reindeer, you know, like some mushroom-eating mm-hmm. magical, you know, Santa goody-goodies. Uh-huh. And they're uh-huh. like, dude, you fucking idiot. Just because it has antlers doesn't mean it's what we're looking for. Get gets the fuck out of this ship and, uh, you know? Uh-huh. Or maybe they ran yeah, their bleep blop bloop test on it and uh, made a elk <laughs> meatball in their little replicator and they tried it and they're like this tastes like dick, get it out of here, you know? Right, right, right. Which is that? That's exactly. the case. You know what? Fuck you, aliens, because I've had myself several elk burgers <laughs> in my life and I think elk is amazing. Yeah. Well, it kind of makes me wonder
1: if it's not a classic case of like, you know, the movie um, Predator, where these things are coming to Earth and they're landing and they're trying to hunt and capture things. Maybe they don't have on their own planet or maybe they're just here flying around and they look down and think, oh, holy shit, what's that? It's like a deer, but it's fucking huge. And then maybe they got it up to the ship and realized, oh, no, this one's with child. And whatever they do to, you know, anti-gravitic devices, radiation, all that kind of stuff, it has some weird effect. And unfortunately, when they put it back down on Earth, it was too much. And the poor old elk, you know, killed over. Who
0: knows? Yeah. Well, I want you guys to kind of put a pin in that. I, I don't know. I, I, was just, I was just thinking, like, from the title, the great elk abduction, like, it was going to be, like, more than one. Like, I thought, <laughs> like, the aliens took a whole fucking herd of them. You know, and then, like, you just hit me with, like, one missing elk. and <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know, Jerry, didn't have any more to say. I mean, you guys were out on the fucking mountain drinking your fucking beers, whittling mm-hmm, your wood mm-hmm. and doing your fucking redneck woodworking shit, and you ain't got any more to mm. say about a disc-shaped craft <laughs> taking fucking baby's mom into <laughs> outer space. Like, we well, we saw a UFO, and we were just like, we better get the fuck out of here. So we got we got on the road, you know what we're what I'm saying. And right, fucking right, put right. some chewing tobacco in my lip and put on some Johnny Cash and just went down the road. And then you know what we saw a dead deer or an elk on the side of the road, we're like, God dang it, Jerry, I think that's one one them little UFO boogers took up in the crab. We don't know, but we think. <laughs> that, that was the end of that was the end of the story right there. <laughs>
1: I like to picture the other side of the coin in the craft were redneck aliens wearing, you know, overalls and little straw hats. And one of them had a little piece of grass hanging out of his mouth. And he's like,
0: get him! And they go down and realize it's way too fucking big for their craft. Goddamn, we told you to set that for 700 pounds. God damn it, Jerry. Now how are we going to get that (laughs) goddamn elk burger, you son of a bitch? Just go ahead and drop it back down. You already (laughs) fucked up. Shit, we're gonna oh, have to go get awesome. ourselves a little Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer out of Russia or some shit or like that goddamn some bitch. That's funny. You said
1: for uh, seven hundred pounds. Apparently, elk can weigh anywhere between four hundred to one thousand pounds. So that was a solid, educated guess there, champ. Yeah, man. I, but you know, I do stand by what I said earlier. I think a cow does weigh a lot more than a fucking deer, or an elk. Yeah, especially a deer. <laughs> Well, the title of the episode is slightly a misnomer, but I want you to put a pin in that because the following story next week actually has a little bit to do with elk in a much bigger way, but I wanted to have this be, like I said earlier, a little appetizer just to kind of wet your whistle and make you think, what the fuck do aliens really want to do with elk? So, this will be continued next time on an unrelated story that still has to do with elk.
0: Hmm. Anything else to add, Presto Buddy? No, I ain't got nothing, dog.
1: Cool. All right. Well, we want to thank everybody for joining in, for commenting and watching along with us as we live stream tonight. Thank you so much. Speaking of social media, if you're on Instagram, please give us a follow on the old Instagram at PXL Paranormal. If you're on Facebook, we are the Pixelated Paranormal Podcast if you're on Apple or iTunes podcast apps, please give us a rating and a review on our new feed. We would love that. And we'll even share them on the next episode.
0: Presto, what do you got for me, pal? I mean, we're up to 248 subscribers on YouTube, which nice. I think we might have gained one since last time. Or maybe we're at it standstill. still. Anyways, if you're watching this live, <laughs> I didn't put that fucking green splurt thing down at the bottom for shits and giggles. I did that to remind you... <laughs> <laughs> to like, subscribe and then share it with all your friends. So if you're watching this fucking smash, smash, smash that like button better than those uh-huh. fucking aliens try to abduct that elk. And uh <laughs> you know, ball the show.
1: Yeah, I got to say I got to say, man, I really, really, really like what you've done with the Facebook. I like the little border on the side with the with the ghost, man. It's awesome. Yeah, we should probably be doing a little more advertising of the old uh, uh, YouTube as well, man. So maybe we can do that and get some more of those uh, smash, smash, smash likes.
0: Yeah. And then, look, as always, if you need a beard, if you want a beard, if you want to grow a beard that's not going to be confused with a fucking fake-ass woolly mammoth meatball cuz you're going to have your own fucking meatball on your face. It's just like looks good, smells good, tastes good. You need to go over to bigdobsbeardbomb.com and then you need need to use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order and pick yourself up some scents like bay rum, fresh, citrus, mint, classic, sweet tobacco and uh you know what, listeners, if you're watching this live stream, uh, Ken just said, P.S. I need more stickers. I need more subscribers. I don't know. Get me more subscribers and <laughs> wow. I'll pay you in stickers. How about that? How about that? <laughs> we'll get
1: more stickers to you, Ken. Um, also, I know Jeffrey wanted to do um, a sticker that has like a QR code you can scan and go straight to the Spotify. Spotify did like this new weird QR code deal And it almost looks like wavelengths or, you know, um, audio waves. And you're supposed to scan that with a phone and take you to the actual um, Spotify. For whatever reason, we couldn't get it to work. So we're kind of uh, circling back on that. But we'll get more stickers pretty quick, most definitely. And speaking of stickers, if you're in the Wichita area, stop by and see our dear friend Leslie and the rest of the gang at CD Trade Post, where they have a sticker for our podcast on the front glass of their store. All right, well, everybody, thanks for joining us. I'm going to raise this glass of water because I'm still sick and didn't want to drink on this episode. And I want to say cheers to the weird
0: shit in the world and those of us who love to talk about it. And stay spooky and stay on the paranormal highway. The cast at Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.